Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're interviewing chair of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez. We'll break down what the Democratic National Committee's strategy is for Arizona heading into 2020. DNC Chair Tom Perez is responsible for the Democratic plan here in Arizona and elsewhere across the country. Arizona has traditionally been a red-leaning state, but it's possible that we could go from having one Democratic Senate seat to two. So Tom Perez's task is to try and make sure that Democrats continue their growth in Arizona and try and thwart the president's agenda here in Arizona and elsewhere. Here's a little bit more about Tom Perez. He was previously the assistant attorney general for civil rights. That's in the Obama era, 2009 to 2013. And he helped bring the case against Sheriff Joe Arpaio in that time. He also was the U.S. Secretary of Labor from 2013 to 2017, the end of the Obama administration. Perez assumed office in February of 2017. And this essentially, if you'll remember, is a pretty tumultuous time for the Democrats. Hillary Clinton had just lost her historic bid for the White House. And he assumed office shortly after the previous chair came under fire for her handling of hacked DNC records that eventually were used to influence the election. So here's our conversation with DNC Chair Tom Perez on July 9th in Phoenix. Tom, thank you so much for joining the Arizona Republic, the Gaggle, and the USA Today Network. You are chair of the Democratic National Committee. You are on the front lines of helping Democrats ahead of the 2020 election. Why are you here in Phoenix? Well, I think Arizona is an important battleground. Uh, you look at what's happening across the state. Obviously, we have a, a huge presidential election, and we have another pickup opportunity in the United States Senate. And not only that, uh, we have opportunities in the state house. I mean, uh, in the house, all we need are two seats to flip the house, a few more to flip the Senate. Our mission at the DNC is to help elect Democrats up and down the ticket from the school board to the Oval Office. And I'm here to make sure uh, we're talking about that. And, and today I'm here to talk about health care because the Fifth Circuit, the, the federal circuit that's hearing the challenge to the Affordable Care Act is meeting today. And uh, the stakes couldn't be higher. And the differences between Republicans and Democrats couldn't be more stark. Democrats believe that if you have a pre-existing condition, you ought to be able to keep your coverage. We, we believe that we should be taking on the pharmaceutical industry so we can lower the cost of prescription drugs. And we heard some compelling stories today about uh, Anthony, uh, who needed a heart transplant. As his dad said, Anthony became a pre-existing condition 48 hours into his life. And because of the Affordable Care Act, they were able to get a heart transplant. They were able to deal with this health care in a way that didn't bankrupt the family. But for the Affordable Care Act, they would be bankrupt. And, and these stories are compelling. And, and the economic case, the health care case, 
and frankly the moral imperative of making sure that people can get access to health care is so important. And it's the number one issue in, in Arizona and across America. And if you're a senior, uh, you should care because if the Affordable Care Act is struck down, uh, the donut hole uh, becomes uh, back in play and your pharmaceutical costs will come up. It, it, it affects everybody, directly or indirectly. Tom, talk a bit about how Arizona fits into the national picture politically in 2020 at this point. What makes Arizona unique and how does that uh, fit into the national strategy? Well, uh, Arizona is an important part of what we're doing nationally and, and I'll give you an example or two of, of how we have uh, put that in play. Uh, you look at 2016 and Hillary Clinton lost by three and a half percent here in uh, Arizona. Uh, I think it was roughly 90,000 votes. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 300,000 Latino voters who are eligible to vote right now who are not registered. She lost by 90,000 votes in 2016. We now have Senator Kirsten Sinema as a result of great candidates running up and down the ballot competing everywhere, organizing everywhere, organizing early. And so when I look at Arizona, I see opportunity up and down the ballot. And again, uh, the importance of electing Democrats in the state house, as well as to the Congress, as well as uh, you know, mayors, all these offices are critically important. And that's why, for instance, uh, we have an initiative called Organizing Corps, where we are hiring, training, and deploying 1,000 organizers that we are going to give to the nominee in seven key states, and one of those seven states is Arizona. So we, I'm going to meet later today with our organizing core uh, group, and they're they're remarkably talented, remarkably diverse, and they're going to help us turn Arizona blue. So we've been hearing about the Latino sleeping giant for decades now, but it hasn't really emerged at the level that perhaps it could. So what will make 2020 different from your vantage point? Well, I'm not sure Joe Arpaio would agree with that because uh, not only did uh, Latinos carry Maricopa County uh, and throw Joe Arpaio out of office, but they also put Adrian Fontes in office. And those, both the sheriff and the recorder are critically important positions. I used to enforce voting rights laws. And uh, one thing they discovered here in Maricopa County after the election was all these folks who had uh, filled out voter registration uh, forms and they hadn't processed them because the Republican regime didn't care. And, and, and so when you look at the Latino vote, if you go back to 2014, the percentage who voted, it was in the 30s, I believe. And now you look at 2018 and it was 48.8% uh, moving in the right direction. In 2020, for the first time, I am confident that it will be north of 50%. And the higher that gets, uh, the more Democrats are going to win. And, and we're not simply focused on Latino turnout, we're focused on everywhere because people of all races and ethnicities have pre-existing conditions. That's the number one issue in every corner of this state. We're right on it, the other side is wrong on it, and we're gonna talk about it day in and day out. So you've talked about healthcare quite a bit. What other issues do you think will be important in the 2020 elections, especially to Arizonans? Well, healthcare is not only a health issue, it's an economic security issue. And if, if you're not healthy, you can't get to work. Uh, frequently, and so that is why when when people talk about health care, I, I talk about it in 
the perspective of making sure that uh, we have a strong, vital economy. And, and you know, the, the, the challenge we have in Arizona and across America is the economy's going gangbusters for people at the top, but for everybody else, uh, it's, it's all too frequently a struggle. And, and that's not fair. We, we want shared prosperity. And, and, and you look at the number one initiative, that, and, and it was called um, uh, HR1, when the Republicans took over in 2017. And what that means, that was the first bill introduced in the House, and they wanted it to be the most important bill. And what was it? It was a massive tax cut for people who didn't need it. This president said, no, this is gonna be massive tax cuts for the middle class. That didn't happen. What happened was pharmaceutical companies got billions of dollars in tax cuts and now look at, and you see, if, if you know anybody who's diabetic, the cost of insulin's been skyrocketing. And so people in Arizona and across the country want the economy to work for everyone. They want leaders who are gonna fight for them, not just for people at the top. And that's what Democrats are doing. That's why we did well here in 2018 and I think we can replicate it and we're organizing earlier than ever and we're organizing everywhere. And we've got great candidates up and down the ballot here in Arizona. Let's talk about some of those candidates. Mark Kelly is the Democrat who is hoping to get the nomination mm -hmm. uh, to face off against Senator, Sen uh, Senator Martha McSally, who was appointed mm -hmm. to uh, the seat once occupied by John McCain. This, by all accounts, is deemed a toss-up race. Uh, it is very rare to see an opportunity like this to potentially flip a mm -hmm. seat. How do you do it? What kind of messaging? Or healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Uh, you would think that Martha McSally having enabled so much effort to undo the Affordable Care Act would listen to her constituents. Uh, and she's done just the opposite. Uh, I mean, but for John McCain, uh, the repeal would have been successful. What? what I've spoken to a lot of Arizonans, and they want their leaders to fight for them. Uh, when it is in the best interest of Arizonans to work with um, Republicans, I know that Democrats will do that here in Arizona. And when it's in the best interest of Arizonans to take on Republicans and go against them because they're not working for the best interest of Arizona, Arizonans, that's what they should do. And that's what um, that's what Kirsten Sinema is doing. Uh, assuming Mark is the uh, nominee, uh, that's what Mark will do. And that's exactly what Senator McSally has not done. You need to stand up for your people. John McCain stood up for uh, his constituents. He had, a, he had a steel rod for a spine. And uh, that's what's needed here. And that's what's expected of that seat. So. Democrats made probably their best showing in 30 years last year uh, at the uh, polls. Was that mostly because of Donald Trump? Were there, you know, it was how much of it was other factors, and how much of that is transferable to next year? Well, if you look, if you look at the Mountain West, and you, you look at places like uh, Nevada and Colorado and New Mexico and Arizona, you see the changing face of America. You see, you have this, the, the vibrancy of this community. I would fully expect that in the next census, uh, you, you, you may gain another seat in the Congress because it's a very desirable place to live. You gotta count the census accurately. And if you have an accurate count, it will help 
uh, Republicans and Democrats here in, in Arizona uh, because accuracy is not Republican or Democrat, but I digress. And, um, and I think what's happening here is you have an influx of folks uh, who are very engaged. You, this, this president has awakened our democracy in ways we've never seen before. We, the, the turnout levels in 2018, we haven't seen midterm turnout levels like that since the civil rights movement of the 60s. And, and it's not abating. Uh, and, and what we have become, the thing I'm most proud of as DNC chair is that we've become a 50 state party again. And we understand that uh, we have to organize early everywhere and together with our partners. And that's what we're doing. That's why we have our, our organizing core uh, cohort of young people, they're on the ground now. That didn't happen four years ago. That's, that's unprecedented. And, and we're going to continue to make investments here and across the country because I, I think that Arizona is part of this remarkable transformation of what I often refer to as the Mountain West, uh, from Colorado to California, where we have tremendous opportunity, but we have to seize it and we have to build those relationships. And I think healthcare is the most important conversation we can have with folks here in Arizona, and we're gonna to continue to have it. How do you prevent that, uh, all the oxygen from getting sucked out of some of these other races, like the Senate race, like some of these legislative state house races, where Democrats clearly do have an opportunity to flip a chamber? How do you keep that conversation focused on those races? Oh, we do what we did in other states in 2018. A great example, uh, well, frankly, Arizona <laughs> made great progress in 2018. In, in Pennsylvania in 2018, we had uh, a governor's race. We had a Senate race. We had um, the House of Representatives was in play, and it was in, and because of a successful lawsuit, there were fair maps. And then you had state house races in play. And, and what we do, the investments we make at the DNC, we're designed to help everybody up and down the ballot. Our organizers know how to walk and chew gum. They can talk about Mark Kelly and they can talk about that state house candidate. And, and actually where we did best is where we flooded the zone. And what I mean by that is we had great candidates at the top of the ticket and we were fielding candidates for every state rep seat and every state senate seat. If, if you look at Arizona like a few years ago, we were conceding um, so many seats. We weren't, we weren't in the ball game. Right. And, and if you look at places like um, uh, Virginia in 2017, we were flooding the zone. We fielded candidates everywhere and we had historic gains in Virginia. Uh, the last time this many Democrats won in the Virginia House, uh, State House, uh, the last time Democrats won that many seats was in the late 19th century. And so the formula for success is clear. Flood the zone, field good candidates. Candidate quality matters. We won races across this country in 2018 because we fielded good candidates. And the other side fielded candidates who were not gonna help you with your health care, who weren't focused on those pocketbook issues that matter most. So you've talked a lot about Democrats and Democratic voters and such, but the biggest group that you have to win in Arizona is independent voters. Um, the economy is doing reasonably well for a lot of people. Um, a lot of these folks feel strongly about border security. How do Democrats speak to that large swath of voters who really don't belong to either party and carry the day in 2020? Well, first of all, independent voters, the number one issue is health care. And that issue, the Republicans are just flat wrong on. And Kirsten Cinema, 
uh, won the Senate seat in no small measure because she was focused like a laser on health care. On border security, we can be a nation of laws and a nation of immigrants. Uh, we've demonstrated that. Uh, if you watch Ronald Reagan's last speech in office before he, uh, his term came to an end, what did he talk about? He talked about the immigrant tradition of the United States. The party of Lincoln uh, was once the party of immigration. George W. Bush, uh, compassionate conservatism. And he was, a, he was the governor of a border state, quite obviously, when he was governor. So we can be a nation of laws and a nation of immigrants. Our immigration system is broken. This president has made it worse because chaos is not an effective strategy. Alienating your allies is not an effective strategy. And when he alienates our allies in the region, when you threaten to cut foreign aid to Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, then you are not going to address the root causes because that foreign aid is going to try to combat the root causes that are bringing people over. In the Obama administration, we were able to bring down the number of young people coming to this country because we worked with countries like Costa Rica. Costa Rica agreed to take in um, people who were applying for refugee status so they didn't even come to our border. We did that through diplomacy, but this, this president's diplomacy is simply a stick and it's not working. And, and what he has to do is stop tweeting and start doing his job because he's, he's abjectly ineffective. Our borders are not safer as a result of his incompetence on this issue. We expect this, that issue to dominate through 2020. Final question, what are your, um, would you give us a sense of how concerned the party is about the potential for meddling this cycle? Well, we're at war right now. Uh, it's a cyber war. And our commander in chief uh, is in denial. It's, it still confounds me that uh, this president would believe Putin over our intelligence analysts. It confounds me that uh, he would sit there as recently as a couple weeks ago in a, in a meeting of foreign leaders at the G20, and I used to go to those, and, and joke about an issue that is so serious. This isn't about right versus left. This is about right versus wrong. And so uh, we are at war, and it's a cyber war, and, and, and we're, we're, not, we're assuming no help from this president. We're assuming that foreign meddling uh, will continue, and that's why we have taken aggressive steps at the DNC starting day one of my tenure back in 2017 to build a spectacular cybersecurity team to work with others in the cyber ecosystem to make sure we're doing our level best uh, to protect voters and, and not just to protect the DNC voter file and, and our assets, but to work with states because as you may have recalled from the Mueller indictment, one of the indictments alleged, and, and if I were a member of the House questioning Mueller next week, the first question I would ask him is, what was the state where 500,000 voter uh, names and addresses were accessed by a foreign adversary. That is criminal and, and that is scary and, and that is something we should have the commander in chief all over because again, this is our democracy that's at risk. And so that's why 
uh, we've taken the aggressive measures that we have taken. It'd be a heck of a lot easier if we had a partner in, in the White House. And, and I've written to my counterpart at the RNC to say, let us both join hands and commit that nobody will ever make use of information that was gained through this sort of hacking. And, and she refused. And, and this, both this president and his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, have said, if it happened again, yeah, I'd use it. That's just not, that's not who we are. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Chairman. Uh, we appreciate your time, and thanks for being on The Gaggle. It's great to be with you. It's always great to be here in Arizona. All right, listeners, that was a really interesting conversation I thought that we had with uh, Mr. Perez. Let's dive into some afterthoughts, processing what all that means. And come on. Let's give a reality check to some of this stuff. Right. So what strikes me the most in listening to Tom Perez is what he didn't say. He really didn't talk all that much about Donald Trump, certainly didn't talk about uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, he was instead laser focused on healthcare. Everything is one degree of healthcare. And talking about healthcare as an economic issue, for example. So everything is really kind of wrapped around this one issue and trying to get at how that thing affects the various aspects of your life or the people that you know. And this is a playbook that we saw implemented clearly successfully in 2018 by now Senator Kirsten Sinema. She shied away from talking about the news of the day with Trump. Every insult and tweet that he would put out there. And instead, she focused her efforts, much like Perez is doing, on the economy, on corporations, on the effects that Republican policies and special interest groups can have on consumers and you know people in the suburbs, people in Maryvale, people in Peoria. This is Tom Perez's challenge in Arizona and elsewhere to try and keep the the team, as it were, on message and stay focused, whether it is healthcare or the economy or however they want to frame this, that they don't wander into the, the land of personal insults. And really, he's also didn't talk about things like impeachment. So the Democratic Party seems intent to stay on issues that have worked for them in the recent past. And I think so far what we've seen, at least from the highest profile race here in Arizona, the Arizona Senate race, is that Mark Kelly, the retired astronaut and Democrat who is challenging Martha McSally for that seat, he is staying focused, uh, at least publicly, on the issues that he deems important to normal voters. He's talking a lot about climate change and the effects on future generations. He's talking quite a bit about the economic effects of uh, climate change. He's talking a lot about health care. He's not wading into the controversial, you know, uh, racist tweets, for example, um, against the, the Democratic squad, the House members that uh, President Trump has targeted with his recent attacks. So I can expect uh, folks to try to stay as much as possible to this uh, to this script. I don't know moving ahead um, how realistic that will will be uh, the closer we get to election time. Well, here's one more parallel with 2018 is that Tom Perez and the Democratic establishment have the luxury of staying laser focused on their Republican opponent in this Senate race 
from the start as well. So they are talking a lot about Martha McSally and what they don't like about the Republican Party. And they really don't have to deal with intra-party fighting that we see so prevalent, for example, in the presidential race. Right now, the Democrats in Arizona in the Senate race have a really strong candidate who has the luxury of staying laser focused on his opponent. Next week on The Gaggle, we are interviewing Mark Kelly, who, as we said, is running unopposed to be the Democratic contender for the Arizona Senate seat. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. 